All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. We continue on Happy Hump Day on Sports 1440 is the Jason Greger show presented by PlayAlberta.ca, our title sponsor, where uh, 100% of the revenue stays right here in the province and uh, hit a big parlay yesterday. So kid sport, of course, uh, this month we make a $20 wager every day and uh, all of the uh, winnings, hopefully we have some, uh, go towards kid sport. Uh, big thanks to uh, Frank yesterday as uh, he put in one of our picks and uh, it hit. So we'll see if we can continue that today. Uh, it is Wednesday at three o'clock and that means it's time for Who Is It Wednesday brought to you by Silent Ice Sports and Entertainment. They are an innovative market leader with uh, properties across Western Canada, including the Seattle Thunderbirds, the Spruce Grove Saints, Silent Rides Charter Company, the Hockey Super League, and of course the Junior Prospects Hockey League. Check it out. It's Silent Ice. And, uh, we'd given some hints. We did find a few of you figured it out near the end on, uh, who our guest is today. He has won a gold medal at the uh, World Junior Hockey Championships. He had an eight year professional career. He scored a hat trick for a Canadian NHL team. He had, uh, two different stints with the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. And, of course, now he is the new CEO of the uh, Edmonton Oilers organization. We are welcomed by uh, Jeff Jackson. Jeff, thanks for coming in studio. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Hey, man, I'm uh, I'm excellent. Uh, I, I got to think I'm probably not as excited as you. Like, this is a, this is a new challenge for you, right? You've, you've been in hockey at, at, as a player, as a player agent, as an assistant GM. Like, you've done all kind of all different categories. Now you, you come into an organization that you obviously know very well because one of your biggest clients is Connor McDavid, or former clients, I guess, is, uh, is Connor McDavid. Now I guess he's kind of a teammate again, in a way. Um, I guess, how, how excited are you about this and what made you want to make the switch to try a new challenge like this? 
Yeah, I'm super excited. Uh, I don't think you get these opportunities to come in uh, for, uh, at a job at this level when the team is in such a good uh, spot. You know, the team, Ken Holland has done an amazing job. <clears throat> Jay Woodcroft's done an amazing job over the last year and a half to get this team to to be, you know, an upper echelon team. Great, great culture in the dressing room. All the players are, you know, sort of at that stage of their career where they're maturing and and maturing not only individually but as a group. And uh, I think that was one of the biggest things for me when I when the opportunity sort of arose was that the team is really good and that relationship that I had with Connor um, is very unique that I could have this opportunity to come to this side of the table and, like you said, sort of be a teammate uh, along with the rest of the managerial staff and coaches and players to try to, you know, compete for a cup every year for the next little bit. So, and who is it? Uh, we'd like to do a little bit of a, a history of the, of the person. Uh, and a lot of people maybe don't know. They obviously know that Jeff Jackson's the new CEO and was Connor McDavid's agent. But uh, there's much more to Jeff Jackson than that, of course. Uh, was a second-round pick uh, of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And then, of course, uh, made your NHL debut with the uh, the Maple Leafs. Played uh, parts of uh, eight pro seasons in the NHL and the American League. Um, t- take me back to kind of Jeff Jackson, the player. When you look back at at your career, like when were like you were were you pretty confident at sixteen or seventeen? Like was were you just a honed in kid on man? This the NHL is where I'm going, or or what were you a type of player when you were sixteen, seventeen? No, I think back in the eighties, early eighties, mid eighties, uh, it was a lot different than now. Like it, it, you, you, the dream of playing in the NHL was a, really a dream. You know, like you didn't have you didn't have all of these kind of like direct tracks to try to get to the NHL with elite AAA teams and summer teams and all of that sort of thing. And I grew up in a very small town, 2,600 people in Dresden, Ontario. But we did have an NHLer who had, had gone before me and named Ken Houston. And so he was sort of like a hometown inspiration for me that yeah. I said, you know, Ken, Ken was able to make it to the league. He came back every summer would spend time with you know my family encourage me and it sort of gave me that hope that I could actually get there from a small town so I just kept you know I kept at it as I went through minor hockey and started junior and uh, you know once I got to the OHL um, back then it was the draft was uh, the OHL draft was a year later so you had one year and then you were in the NHL draft and I was a first round pick to, to Brantford at that point, I was like, okay, I was a first-round pick in the OHL. Like, maybe I got a chance here. Okay. And sort of that's when I thought it might be realistic to to, to chase it. <clears throat> Who is your first agent? Bill Waters. And uh, w- w- being a player agent now, like, what did you learn from Bill that made you want to become a player agent? <laughs> well, back, back then, uh, we got agents about – a week before the NHL draft. Like it it was, you were 18 already. You didn't have an agent really when you were in junior. You sort of like, as the NHL draft approached in June, you sort of scrambled. And there wasn't many agents. There was Gus Bedali, who I think at the time was like Paul Coffey's agent. And at one point had represented uh, Wayne and some other people. So he was well known. And then there was Bill Waters there was Alan Eagleson and a couple others. So it wasn't like now where there's yeah. thousands of agents and everybody's okay. competing and you're recruiting 12 and 13 year old kids. Yeah. So, um, 
I loved Bill, and he had uh, Rick Curran was working with Bill then, and he was a young guy in his 20s. Okay. Uh, Ricky's still in the business, uh, I don't know how, 45 years now probably, close yeah. to that or a little bit more. And um, they did a great job taking care of us. So I said, I, it didn't inspire me to be an agent, but I always looked back and thought, you know, I always felt that they had my back. Now, I like to play a few fun games different times with different guests. I'm going to say a date, and I want to see if, if you remember it. Now, these are dates that kind of had an impact in, in your life at, uh, at some point. Um, October 11th, 1984. First NHL game? That's right. Against? Hmm. Montreal? No, Minnesota North Stars. Minnesota Stars. See, I'm bad. That's bad. <laughs> your, your, your second game was two days later. As, as an Ontario kid, that was a home game at Maple Leaf Gardens against the Buffalo Sabres. Take me back to a young Jeff Jackson for his first home NHL game. And, and how many family members or friends were in the building? Well, I know my family, my mom and dad and my brother and sister were there. Um it was super exciting. I mean, you don't really realize it when you're a kid, but in Maple Leaf Gardens, they would crank on these massive lights because okay. of the Hockey Night in Canada game. And those old buildings were more cavernous than they yes. were dark. And I remember coming out for the, for the, for the warm up and it was just like the lights were so bright and the fans were hanging. The glass was oh, low back then, right? So, so the real. fans hung over and they're all talking to you. It was, it, I was, Super cranked up, I can tell you that. <laughs> oh, I could like what a thrill though. Like I remember my first time at Maple Leafs Gardens, and I sat at the end of the rink, right above the net, and there was like the seats were right there. Yeah. There was no mesh. I was like, oh my god! Like this, you got to be paying attention here. It's literally you shoot one bad deflection, it's coming hitting you right in the chick. Yeah, I mean, well the the mesh didn't come in for no you know, years and years later. I took one like bad incident one time, and, and then they put them in every rink. But back then, yeah, like there was lots of deflected pucks going up like straight up behind yeah. the net. Yeah, and, and like there, it was literally the end of the rink, and they, the way the building was situated, it was right above. I couldn't believe it. I was now I'm an idiot, and I sat there because I thought it was a great vantage point. To they are great the seats, though. They oh, were really yeah. good seats. They are fantastic. Jeff Jackson, uh, CEO of the uh, Edmonton Oilers, joins us today on, who is it, Wednesday, December 28th, 1985. What was it, December 28th? Yeah, December 28th, 1985. I'll give you a hint. I'll say Rich Costello. Oh, okay. First NHL goal. <laughs> <laughs> he assisted on it. Yes, he did. So t- what kind of goal was it? Uh, I was kind of a high slot, and the puck was in the corner, and Rich Costello grabbed it and sort of spun around, and I was just going to the net, and I, ha- I had my stick on the ice, and it came to my stick, and I sort of one-timed it on the strong side, and uh, and I think it was Steve Weeks was the goalie, and, I, and it went in, and I was like relieved because I'd played the year before as a junior age player, and I didn't have a point or no goals at least in whatever, however, 18 or 20 games or something like that. Yeah. And I was starting to wonder if I would ever score in the NHL. So it was, it was, it felt great to go in. Oh man, the mind games, I would think for a guy, cause you scored your decent score in junior and like 17 games in the grand pitcher isn't that much, but when you're in it, it feels probably like a hundred. Yeah. Yeah. I was sort of gripping the stick a little tight, but it was nice. Now we fast forward a few years, January 3rd, 1991. <laughs> uh, January, uh, I'll give you a hint. I'll say Joe Sackick. Was that? That's not the night I got a hat trick. It is. Oh, is it? Okay. Uh, yes. 
Has, so here you are, and you, you played ten games that year for the uh, for the Nordiques. Your third game, you pot a hat trick, first NHL NHL hat trick, and uh, now it was a high scoring game against the Blues. But man, I don't care what league you're in when you score a hat trick. It's pretty fun. Yeah, it felt pretty good that year because I had played in Quebec for a few years and they had sent me to the minors and I got called back up and um, like you said, it was third game and I, I I got the hat trick and then we played, the, I think, the next night in Montreal and I scored again. And then that was the year that I broke my forearm really badly, so I, I only played the 10 games. Yeah. I think I would have probably been fine and stayed the rest of the year, but then I had that injury and I missed the rest of the season, so it was a pretty short season for me, but it was it felt good. I know Brett Hall got four that night. <laughs> yeah, I him remember Adam, that. Adam Oates was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah they, they had, had a four point They had a good team, yeah. yeah. Now, I was looking at your career, and you were in Toronto for a bit. Then late uh, in, in 1987, you went to New York, you played nine games. You had five goals in nine games for the Rangers, you didn't sign with them. So when you went there, were you claimed on waivers at that? Was Or was it a late season trade? When was the deadline? Uh, I got traded to the Rangers uh, at the deadline, right okay. around the deadline. It was a different time then for Mark Osborne. Mark Osborne came to Toronto, and then I played the rest of that year. And like you said, I had, I, I, I had the good fortune. I played on a line with Marcel Dion and oh. uh, Kelly Kissio was playing right wing and we we just connected we we played well together i went back to camp the next year i think i had six goals and six preseason games playing on that same line and i was so excited about the season i thought you know i can get this career going getting a great opportunity with you know obviously a hall of fame player and uh and then phil esposito came in we were in preseason i we took the warm-up and we but we dressed two extra players one extra forward, one extra D for warm up, and we're all going, okay, what's going on? So we're all in, all of us are nervous because Phil made a million trades, right? Yeah. We came out after warm up. We're all sitting there. It started, it's time to start getting our skates done up and go do the game. And the assistant coach comes in and says, Terry Karkner, Jax, go see Phil. We're like, oh, uh oh. So we got traded to Quebec. Um, right before the game, after warm up, for who? For John O'Grodnick and David Shaw. Wow, yeah, you're right, Phil. What? Like he just traded. It was like it was hockey cards almost for him. And the ironic thing is that at the end of the previous season, when I'd gone to the team and, and done very well at the year end party, he had his arms around me and George McPhee, and he said, "I'll never trade you two guys. I love you two. I know I make a lot of trades." Well, he traded me that day, and he traded George to Winnipeg the same day. <laughs> the same. So, so we saw each other at the hotel, and we're like, "Can you believe he traded us after what he said to us?" <laughs> now, did you, now you must have seen Phil later on. Did you ever ask him about? Oh yeah, that? I, he I, I harassed him about it. <laughs> he said, "I had to make the deal. Jacks had to make the deal." <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Jackson joins us. Uh, that was your. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. And I want to talk about a very unique transition. You go to law school. Then you get, uh, you're get you working in, the, in sports, law, and entertainment. Then you, uh, how would you get to the, uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs? And then, of course, uh, into the player agent business and much more when we return with Jeff Jackson, the uh, new CEO of the Edmonton Orders. Day afternoon on Sports 1440. It's the Gregor Show presented by PlayAlberta.ca. Coming to you live from the E-Well studio, E-W-E-L, for all your electrical needs. And a very special guest on Who Is It Wednesday, the CEO of the Edmonton Orders, was hired on August 3rd. So just been on the job for about uh, six weeks. Uh, excited for a training camp to get on the ice 
tomorrow. And then, of course, uh, preseason action at home against the uh, Winnipeg Jets on Sunday. And then, of course, the season opener, October 11th in Vancouver. And so, Jeff, we talked about your playing career. You finished playing. And then you end up going to law school, which was not like that's something that late in your hockey career, I know, fell into it. But you had an offer that all of a sudden piqued your interest. Yeah, when I was just finishing up my career, I was a uh, one of the I was a team player rep for the Nordiques, and we attended uh, NHLPA and owner meetings, um, and we would have a set of meetings, you know, three or four times a year. And Bob Goodnow was the new executive director at the time. He was a lawyer. He was trying to sort of get in players to be more educated and empowered uh, than they had been previously. So he he formed a law committee, asked for some volunteers. I volunteered for it, and I found it very interesting. We would look, you know, we would look at different e- issues. He would walk us uh, through it all. They had, you know, in a couple of in-house lawyers, and it just sort of piqued my interest. So I thought to my and and at that point in my career, Mike Gillis was had become my agent. Oh, okay. And Mike had been a former player who had had a bad injury and then had gone back to law school and was practicing law. And him and I talked a lot about it, and he encouraged me to do it. And so he, as I transitioned out of hockey, he was very helpful, actually, in sort of giving me a little bit of guidance through his experience. And, um, you know, he, he at the end of the day, he was very helpful for me because I applied to law school as a mature student or a life experience student. I didn't do an undergrad. Okay. I did a two and a half undergrad credits, and then I got into law school as a mature student. And so it was it was a tough slog at the beginning, <laughs> but you know you you figure it out pretty quick. Uh, you got to work, you know, much like when you're a player, you had to work on a team with different people to study. And uh, but that's how I ended up in law school. A lot of it was with Mike Gillis discussions and things like that. <clears throat> and your original plan when you went to school was you're like, hey, I'm a former player with a law degree that probably can get me a job somewhere. But then you kind of fell in love with actually practicing law and stayed in it for eight years. Yeah, I joined um, I joined a firm in Toronto, Heenan Blakey, which was very sort of was a smaller boutique firm at the time. Um, during my time there, it grew to be one of the bigger national firms. Um, but I practiced uh, corporate and entertainment law. I had a great group of colleagues, uh, David Steinberg, Ken Dollywall, Jim Russell. All these guys are still fr- really good friends of mine. And I, lo- I loved working there. Um, and I did it for eight years. And I didn't really anticipate leaving the law practice. And then... Sort of had an opportunity when John Ferguson called. Uh, he was the GM of the Leafs at the time, asking me if I would, you know, have coffee and talk about coming to work for him. And that's uh, sort of where that that job st- started. Well, that got you back into the NHL, right? And then you moved up, and eventually were the assistant GM, and then the GM of the Marlies uh, for a few seasons. But your original kind of were you excited to get back in the NHL? Or was there was there any at all trepidation just because now you know you're going into management and you'd been in law and kind of out of the game for a decade? Yeah, it was uh, it was a, it was a difficult decision because having been a player and knowing how it's so precarious, it's very similar in the man- management side of things, yeah. coaching and management. Like it, it's all team success, and you know if you're the assistant GM and the GM gets fired, you might be on your way out too. It doesn't matter how good a job you've done or or haven't done. So. Um, it was it was a difficult decision. Uh, I had coffee with John Ferguson probably ten times. Like okay. it wasn't. It was one of those things where we kept talking about it. And finally, I just decided I was going to dip my toe back into it and join the team. And uh, 
Yeah, it was exciting. It was nice to be back in hockey. Uh, I knew kind of going in with my eyes wide open that it might be um, something that wasn't as stable as the law firm. But I also had confidence in myself that if I... If it didn't work out, I could always go back to a law firm. Yeah, and that's fair. Jeff Jackson joined us. So you were hired in June of 2006. You were there. You're the director of hockey administration. Then the next year, you get a new title, assistant GM, director of hockey operations. Then the next year, you're the GM of the Marley. So you kept moving up. And then in March of 2010, there'd been another G, cause you had, you'd be able, you talked about it earlier, how sometimes when a new GM comes in, it means you might not be staying, but Cliff Fletcher came in during your tenure. You stayed. Then Brian Burke, uh, was hired. And I think you left in, in March or April of that year. What, what caught, what was the reason? What was your focal point at that point in 2010 to leave? Well, like you said, I, I started with Fergie, and then I worked for Cliff, uh, which was great because I got, you know, I got a lot of experience really quickly working for Cliff because he had he had sort of been out of the game yeah. as a GM for a while, and he had all kinds of relationships. But I was sort of doing a lot of the cap management, all the contracts, all the staff contracts, the plane contract, pretty much everything. And so it was baptism by fire. So I learned a lot, and it was great. And then Berkey came in, um, I forget when he got hired, I think it was February or March, and um, it was all good with Berkey, um, but he then he brought Dave Nonis in, and then he brought Dave Poulin in, and I sort of was getting pushed down the depth chart, if you want to call it that, sure. on the management side. Yeah. And at one point, Brian and I had a discussion, and he said, like, these guys are going to be my guys. Um you know, I had a contract. He said, you can you can stay and work with us or you can leave. Sort of up to you. I'll help you, whatever. It was one of those ones where I was, I wouldn't say he pushed me out, but he had other guys who were ahead of me. And I, I saw the writing on the wall and I, I left, I guess it was during the Olympics 2010 is when I kind of stopped working for the Leafs. So then how did you, what, you make the transition to player agent? How'd that go? Well, I, everybody teases me about this, but I took about a year and a bit off of hockey and law, and I just did some landscaping work. Okay. Yeah, I got outside, and I I got kind of cleared my head sort yeah. of thing, did a couple big projects. I, I, I love art design and all that stuff, so I did a couple jobs, and it was great. And then um, I got a call from Dave Gagne, who's a longtime friend, saying, that Sam was gonna was thinking about changing agents and would I help him? And I so I thought about it. I said, sure. You know, I just spent five years, uh, four and a half years dealing with all the agents in the business when I was AGM of the Leafs. I sort of know how guys operate. I've got the knowledge. Uh, I think I can do that. And so I naively thought I was gonna start my own agency and be able to build it all up. <laughs> But I did help Sam, and then I recruited a couple other players, and then I saw very quickly, like, when you're competing against Newport and Octagon and CAA and and those types of agencies, like, you can't do it on your own. It doesn't matter what your resume is. Um, and fortuitously for me, Bobby Orr and Rick Kern came along, and Rick had been my agent, and we had a yeah. good relationship. Yeah. And they sort of had a need, and um, ironically, I was kind of at the <clears throat> finish line to do a deal with Acme, which was Bill Zito's agency. I was going to run the Canadian operations for Acme. Okay. I get the call from Bobby and Rick. Hey, we want to meet with you. I said, well, 
I'm sort of almost done in this deal. I didn't tell them who with. They said, just don't do anything. We meet with us first. I met with them, and uh, I knew that they had just recruited Connor successfully, and I'd seen Connor. I tried to recruit him, and I sort of, it's Bobby Orr. It's Rick Kern, who I got a long relationship with. They've got McDavid. They've got Aaron Eckblad as clients. It's a good setup for me to try to grow my, my business. And so I joined Door Hockey in 2011. And uh, they, that's how I really got going in the agent business. Jeff Jackson joins us. So you joined, because, um, yeah, I think Connor told me originally, like Bobby or they had agreed to. So how did that transition go from them having him to you becoming Connor's full-time agent? Well, they had recruited him, um, and they had an Ontario agent at the time who left had left the company. And sort of part of what I saw when I when they approached me was like, I'll have the opportunity to represent Connor. And I said that I said like, if I'm doing this, I well, okay. I want to be involved in yeah. Connor McDavid because sure. I, I I had tried to recruit him on my own on my own little agency. I talked to Brian McDavid a couple times and. Um, they were like, yeah, well, that's what we're getting you for. Like, you know, we, and Connor was 15 at the time. Um, and the agent business is, you know, pretty savage sometimes. There's oh, lots yes. of uh, people lurking around yeah. all the time. So sort of my job was to work closely with Connor and Aaron and some of the other guys and keep them as our clients. And, and uh, thank God that we were able to do that. And so, you know what, there are some sharks, if you want to use that term, maybe at times that are looking around and trying to steal clients and whisper in their ear and different things like that. But then there's also like Connor McDavid's a very unique case, right? Because there's just like generational player to me, there's very few of them. And, and that's what he was. And, you know, people talked about him at a young age. And, you know, it was always amazing to me kind of how mature he was throughout everything. He had to mature earlier than he probably should have just based on the situation. As you evolve in that, that agent player becomes like a friendship a little bit, right? Like, you know, you have to look out for him a little bit. And, and um, I know he, the player works for you, but how did you kind of... Actually, we work for them. Yeah, sorry, yeah, that's what yeah, I meant. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, how did you massage that to know that, okay, like, I have to look out for Connor, but at the same time, I have other clients and I don't want... It's like having kids. You don't want to look like you're favoring one. Yeah, I mean, I didn't find it difficult to manage time. I think going back, like having... Law school, working at a law firm where I had multiple files going okay. on, working for the Leafs and doing all kinds of things at once to be able to sort of manage a group of young men and, and with their families. Uh, I didn't find it too hard to balance it. Um, I gave Connor lots of attention, but I gave all the guys lots of attention. I, I and, and some of them needed more constantly and some of them were low maintenance if you want to call it that yeah. and they would only when they needed you they wanted you there to help or their parents did so it was sort of like fluid that way connor connor was not a high maintenance client he's very driven you know brian and kelly are they're very close with connor we've developed a very good close relationship too so there was lots of trust and you know it just built over time there must mean at times, you know, as you get to know the player and you get to know the person, maybe even more importantly, that you're watching some games, you know, as a young kid coming up in junior and he's doing great things. And he gets the NHL, the best league in the world. And there's at times where, you know, he's embarrassing is probably too harsh of a word where like he's the best player on the ice and it's really not even close. And you're just like, 
You know, but then when he's done hockey, he's just Connor McDavid, right? Like, did you ever find yourself sometimes being like, yeah, okay, like, I can't be in awe of my own client? Well, I was in awe of a lot, <laughs> I think, just like everybody else. I mean, some of the things he would, what he continues to do, you know, even last year, you know, watching watching games, I would be sitting on the couch late night games for me in Ontario, so it's late yeah. at night, and I... I remember one day he scored the goal. I guess that was maybe two years ago against the Rangers where he did the oh, loop. Yeah. I, I jumped off the couch and yelled because it's things like that that, you know, bring longtime hockey people out of their seat. And that's why longtime hockey people all say the same thing. It's like, you know, we've never seen anything like it really, right? But he, he puts so much work into it. He's so dedicated. Um, and, you know, he's, he, as you know, because you, you see him, you've seen him for eight years. He's a special kid. He's he's very uh, he's very humble, and he also like cares about his teammates and all that stuff. That's why he's such a good leader. Yeah, it's <clears> funny because obviously, you know, I, I don't ever pretend to to know the guys that well. We have like a work relationship with them, and you know, Connor and I have had lots of conversations over the years. But it, it's funny when you see a kid coming at eighteen, and, and he was still mature at eighteen, and then you see him at twenty six and seven. And that's just somebody who sees like a, a small portion of them. For you, who's somebody who was kind of in that inner circle, it must be pretty unique to see someone who's able to to continue the climb up to greatness while maintaining being humble and 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 really keeping his nose clean in today's era, where there's so many people that that, that would love nothing more than to see someone trip over themselves. Yeah. You never see that with him. Yeah, no, I mean he's 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 diligent. He takes good, very good care of himself and. Uh, it's it's amazing to me, like you, you said it, he was mature when he came in, but now you see, you know, you heard lots of criticism sometimes in his first three or four years about, you know, he's too abrupt with the media or he's standoffish or he doesn't, he, he was sort of being protective and he wasn't confident in it. Now you see him and yeah. he's very, he's very at ease with it. He's, it's, that maturity has like flowed into that part of him now where he's joking around and. Um, it's it's really nice to see, and it's it's been a progression, but it's like now he's just so comfortable with all of it. Yeah, and I also think he might be naturally a little bit of an introvert, and some people forget that. Like, who you are naturally, I don't care if you're a superstar, you can't change who you are. And some people are overtly more comfortable in situations, talking, and, and I've always said, hey, like... I love talking to guys one on one because in a scrum it's just different because now yeah. there's seven or eight people and you don't know if you don't always trust seven or eight people equally as you might one on one. So it's just that's, that's it's a exactly different situation right. as uh, Jeff Jackson joins us and so Jeff I know a lot of order fans are like they sit there like ah, we got Connor McDavid's former agent he's the CEO of the team now this is going to rubber stamp that he's resigning here and now and I've been saying for years that I'm like like it's hard going to be hard pressed for Connor to find a better player than Leon. And definitely Leon can't find a better player than Connor. So it works out. But when you took the job and you, and you talked to the conversations with Daryl and you mentioned that it was kind of like six to eight weeks conversations to see it, what ultimately led you to want to take on the challenge of being a CEO of an NHL team? Organization, I should say. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll just step back for one sec because I wasn't looking to change jobs. Like I loved being at Wasserman. It was a great, it's a great agency with, I had great colleagues and, not only in hockey, but other all the other sports, football, basketball, baseball. Casey Wasserman, fantastic leader. I learned a lot there. So I wasn't looking to change, but and initially I wasn't I wasn't really over, overly open to the idea. Okay. Um but I, I said I would think about it. And then I and I met with Daryl and talked to him and I really enjoyed that. <clears throat> we had a like a nice long meeting. Um I looked at the team, I looked at 
the city, you know, is so behind the team. The fans are great. Um, I thought about, you know, the opportunity to, to, to have a chance to win a Stanley Cup with Connor, but also with like Evan Bouchard, who was a client of ours and Connor Brown was a client of ours and all the players that have been here for a while, like, like Darnell Nurse and, and uh, Nuge and all these other guys who put a lot of time and effort into making this team what it is. So, um, it wasn't an easy decision, but I also thought like if I'm 65 years old and I look back and I didn't do that, I'd, I'd be kicking myself yeah. for sure. Okay. Um, these jobs don't come along very often and here's one being sort of offered to me and I was like, I got to do this. So ultimately that was sort of the, my thought process. And then you have a, you know, a hall of fame general manager in Ken Holland who has tons of experience. Uh, I'm assuming that makes it a little bit easier where you're like, Hey, you know what? We got people with experience in place. Talk about that relationship. Ken talked about it today. He goes, I'm not worried about my future. I've got one year left. And, you know, he's kind of hinted he's not sure what he wants to do yet. And, and I think that's fair. But how do you approach that? Like, that's a, you know, you're coming up on potentially two summers of two of the biggest negotiations in the franchise's history. How important is it to have a GM with experience? Oh, it's very important. So, And I should have probably part of my thought process is that I was going to get a chance to work with Ken because I have had like a high de- degree of respect for him for a long time. He's done a great job here uh, in the four years. And I thought, like, I don't have to go in there as in this role and do anything drastic, especially with the team, the big team. This job is more sort of long-term planning and making sure that we're set up for success, you know, every year. And that's been my focus so far is just looking at some of the things like, you know, the scouting department and, and the sports science and the analytics and player development, all those things that are underlying and foundational things that make you successful. And, but getting a chance to work with Ken um, was a big part of why I made the decision. So that's, that's part of it. And then as far as the big negotiations, um, I think for both Leon and Connor, I've said this a few times, um, it's our job to make sure that we're the team that's competing for the cup. It's hard to win the cup. Yes. It's like, it's not, you know, nobody's given that thing away and it's a long season. Like Kenny said it today in, a, in the meeting with the players that we had with, it's a marathon. Um, you gotta have some luck. You gotta stay healthy. We have, we have a very good team. There's probably eight to 10 other teams who are really good teams who are going to like vie for the cup. Um, so it's our job to convince those two players and others, but those two guys mainly that this is the best spot to have that opportunity to keep winning. And Daryl Cates is, you know, he's done an unreal job here with the facility, the way he treats the players, uh, you know, all the resources that that were, were given to, to help these players succeed. So, you know, I, I'm confident that we're going to keep them. But like you said, it's not a rubber stamp. Yeah. Yeah. Now, interesting you mentioned there the sports science factor. In, in your previous role, you talked to every organization. You had clients from so many different teams. So you, you probably got a good sense of lots of things that go on in different organizations. And you're able to maybe look and say, hey, because, you know, coaches always tell me, man, if you're not stealing ideas from the other guys, like that's how you become a better coach. Because yeah. somebody knows something that maybe you don't. You're like, oh, that's a good idea. Do you feel that's an advantage you have maybe is that you you kind of have an understanding of what a lot of the other teams do. And now you want to take your own belief system and incorporate it. And if so, 
how long do you think that takes to, to really kind of interject some of the things you want? And do you have a timeline on anything that you think is like priority number one or number two? Yeah, I mean, I think that having been in the agent business and seen all the other organizations over a course of, you know, 11, 12 years, uh, it does give you an opportunity to see some things that are done really well by some organizations, not all of them. Um, and some do some really well and others do th- other things well. So you're kind of, you can pick and choose, try to grab nuggets from uh, the good nuggets from the teams and, and sort of put that together. And then on the agent side of things, we were very proactive trying to do player development on our own. We did, we had some analytics, we had uh, sports science in internally at Wasserman. So we had a sort of a resource that we could go for that sort of stuff. Very innovative company, so I learned a lot on that front. So I think that I'm not rushing in and like creating departments all over the place, but we are starting. Um, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna have an announcement shortly on an a- some analytics, okay. um, which which is very exciting for us um, to get to get that going. Um, and then you know the Oilers have one of the finest uh, medical staffs in the league, in my opinion. So working with TD4s and his his staff and Dr. Nadu, like we'll we'll just kind of continue to build off of what they already have done. Um, they're very progressive, well educated, continue to educate themselves. But there's ways that we can get incrementally better. So I think these are things that don't happen overnight. I don't have timelines for stuff, okay. but I I do have a strategic plan that I want to implement, and it may take. You know, it may take a few months. It may take a year, but it's going to happen. You talk about how you you had kind of an analytics department uh, at your agency, and we've seen the evolution of it. I've talked to guys who are invested in guys who work independently, guys who work for certain teams, and it's always evolving and changing. And and some of them tell me, you know what, the best analytics in the game of hockey, there's still like maybe a thirty percent that's just unpredictable. There's you you know, so you want to be as close as you can, but then you have to understand without driving yourself crazy that sometimes. It's just out of your out of your control. Yeah, I mean, I think analytics is a t- another good tool to use. That's essentially what it is. And if you're if you have a toolbox and you don't have one part of the toolbox, it's uh, you, you lost your one tool and you're not using it. Like it's going to hurt you. So to me, like get that toolbox full, use analytics, but you have to use all the other stuff that you know, whether it's watching games in person, using your own kind of sight and smell test of players feel all the intangible things with players are very important but what the analytics can do is you can it can drive you know you can build uh programs where you you know drive focus on whether it's amateur scouting pro scouting player contracts like you know using it to see when guys are at peak performance all that sort of stuff that you can't do without the data so like that's where we're going to use it um but we're also going to continue to use like the traditional methods of like player evaluation because that that's not going anywhere and then what about the business side is the ceo of the company obviously you have a pretty good business background i think you understand numbers quite well and then you know negotiating contracts and sponsorships obviously you did that with players how much of it's all encompassing as the ceo right well, I'm CEO of hockey operations, uh, and, uh, and Jurgen is the CEO on the business side. He's been, you know, he's been with the OEG for a number of years. So he'll, he continues to do that. We, we work closely on, I think, a, a bunch of stuff. We, okay. we've gotten to know each other a little bit, uh, early on, and he's been traveling a lot. 
So I don't have to get into the weeds on the business side okay. too much, but they, but you still, they, they naturally they, yeah. interact. Yeah, yeah, they interact. Yeah, There's certain sure. times where you have to cross over. So yeah, you have, so you have to be we, aware. You know, we have our offices are right beside each other, and we'll, I'm sure we'll spend tons of time together. And uh, one last one for you. Uh, your father of four, uh, you know, you, you have a daughter who's living in England. Uh, your son's uh, doing really well in, in New York. And then you have your two youngest kids um, still at home in, in high school. How, uh, how are you as a sports dad? I was pretty good. I mean, I uh, I never got too excited about you know whether they were playing a lot of getting a lot of ice time or making teams. But all all the kids have participated in sports their whole life. Uh, Liam, my twenty eight year old son, he when I worked for the Leafs, I missed a lot of his basketball because I was doing a lot of stuff. As I said earlier, traveling to Europe, yeah. going to my kids always like tease me that I was in Russia and I miss <laughs> everything. So I did spend a lot of time in Russia one year and, uh, I don't think I missed too much, but I seem like I missed some key games for okay. Liam because yeah, he, yeah. he brings it up <laughs> in a joking way. But yeah, they all played sports. The, my two youngest now teenagers, Owen and Luke, they, uh, they're playing football and basketball, so they're out of hockey now, which which was great because yeah. I actually love going and watching the two other sports, yes. and, and they both are are quite good at both, and they they and more importantly, they love it. So, um, yeah, my wife and I have a, we have a ball going to watch them play. Now, it could maybe be Bills fans there, could be Raptors fans, but they're they're Toronto kids. It might be Leafs fans. Now the dad's working for the orders. Is that an easy change, or do you have to like? You gotta, you gotta make sure you're bringing home some signed swag to, yeah, to win them over. They're Leaf fans, uh, but like I've told them several times over the last six weeks, you're not Leaf fans anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I'm an alumni and all the other things, yeah, I said you, you gotta switch the allegiance. You're now an Oiler fan, uh, but they're sort of bucking it. But I, I will, we'll convert them. Awesome. Jeff, thanks so much. I know you're super busy. We really appreciate taking some time to come join us here in Sports 1440 Studio. And uh, best of luck. I know you're just as excited as all the Order fans. They can't wait to see what's going to happen in the 23-24 season. Yeah, I'm very excited, and thanks for having me. That is Jeff Jackson, CEO of the Edmonton Orders, our Who Is It Wednesday guest. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back on The Gregor Show, presented by PlayAlberta.ca. We continue on. Big thanks to... uh, the CEO of the Edmonton Orders, Jeff Jackson. Also, a big shout-out to uh, Tim Shipton, Jamie Cartmill for helping uh, set that up. A uh, really good conversation. Uh, Jeff's pretty excited. I know the text line's firing up. Uh, hey, Gregor, any idea on what they're going to do with analytics? Um, well, I think they're going to hire somebody who has a significant background in new age analytics. And like, because you know that like they hired Rick Priestley, who obviously is into it too. But um, I, I think they're going to have somebody who just has more of a understanding of it. And I think that announcement's going to come rather quickly. So uh, you know, don't be surprised. You know, next few days, I would think uh, there's a very good chance you you'll hear an announcement there, which will will make some people happy. And, you know, I, I love what Jeff said. It's a tool. It's not the do all end all. It's one tool. And just like in your toolbox, sometimes you're going to need a wrench, sometimes you're going to need a screwdriver, sometimes you're going to need a hammer. And on a different day, you're going to have different things. Uh, you know, there's still got to be the human element, no question. And I, and the great part is most people who understand analytics understand that. That it's not just, well, all you got to do is do analytics. Of course not. You you have to do many different things. And then sometimes you got you got to be a little bit lucky. You, you just have to be, right? Like... Now, it's not so much analysts because this is an amateur draft, but it's like Wyatt Johnson. He played seven games. 
Dallas traded down eight spots. Like, usually if you think you can get a guy, you'll trade down one or two. You're not going to trade eight because you don't know what eight other teams are going to do. And uh, they were able to get him at 23. I know a lot of people have said, well, that's why Tyler Wright got fired. I think that's a little naive. I think it's a, it's a, it's too easy to try to connect a, a line to a dot that might not be there because Dallas themselves didn't pick him when they had the chance and they traded down. He played seven games. I don't know how anybody can say in seven games for sure. You're like, oh, this guy, he's going to go right to the NHL on those seven games. Now, if it was Connor McDavid, I can understand it. But obviously, nobody saw that why Johnson was that coming out of it. Hey, guys, great interview with CEO Jeff. He seems humble and calming. Almost sounded like a Connor interview. Dennis, still a Browns fan? Oh, I can tell you right now, uh, Jeff can be very fiery. There's no question about it. Um, but you know what? I, I think with experience, he, he knows what he's had his hands on a lot of different elements, right? So he understands the player point of view because he was a former NHL player. He understands kind of what management's role is. He was kind of got in at the, at the ground level, worked his way up, and then he was running the American League team. He was assistant GM on the NHL team. He was a capologist. And then he worked on the player agent side. So I think when you go into negotiation potentially, A, he's going to have relationships with some of the agents, good or bad, depending on who it is. But I think he'll understand knowing like, okay, how does an agent think and what's their strategy in certain negotiations, right? What are things that are like, for sure, this is what we need. What are some things that you might be able to to negotiate on? So I think that's an advantage for sure. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. And, as he said, you're working with Ken Holland, who's a Hall of Fame GM. You got Connor McDavid, who's a future Hall of Fame player. You have Leon Dreisaitl, who's a future Hall of Fame player. Like, it's a good organization to come into. You have an owner who is willing to spend, there is uh, lots of different things to do it. Hey, Greg's another awesome interview, man. I have to say, you guys have been absolutely killing it since he came back on air. I'm loving it. Comes in from uh, Dan. Well, oh, thanks, Dan. I appreciate it, man. It's uh, You know what? I look forward to a little bit long-form interview that goes a little bit longer, and it doesn't have to just be about the topic of the day, and that's what Wednesdays is about for me. 
And you know what? We're, we're going to go to, you know, lots of different, uh, different areas. It's not always going to be hockey. We have Dave Neto on last week and people were loving it. So that's great. And that's kind of what the whole point of a who is it Wednesday. And I should say a, a big shout out because, uh, I think there was one person who uh, got it. Sean D in, in Leftbridge was the only person who had guessed Jeff Jackson. And he guessed it after we gave the final uh, hints, which is totally fine. That's the whole point. Well, I'd like to see it give it, but they don't, they don't want to be too easy, Connor Halley. Well, I, Mike D on YouTube before oh, the D? show even started, he guessed it. Really? So I thought we had a leak. I was, uh, yeah, well, somebody might have, I was questioning some people. Fair, yeah. If, cause to go on, you don't even know. We haven't given you any hint. So yeah, somebody somewhere. We need to find the leak. We'll sniff it out. Who's that? You know, because you definitely don't want leaks. Not at all. So that's good. Hey, guys, what do you think the odds are that Evan Bouchard signs long-term because he was a former client? Wow. Honestly, I can't answer that question. Right? And, and here's the thing about it's It's a unique relationship that you go from being the agent to now working for the organization who wants to sign the player, and, and you still want to be on the same side, but it's a negotiation. Because in any contract negotiation, it's rare that if you walk in, the player says, I believe I'm worth, let's say, just round number, $5 million. And the team's like, you're right. That's the exact number we had. Okay, great. Because even if the team thought you were worth five and you came in with five, they'd be like, well, let's counter with a little bit lower number here. Maybe 4.85, 4.5, 4.25, right? So it's rare you're, you're ever just going to have some people walk in. I know some people say, hey, it's Connor McDavid, whatever number he wants, you should get. And I can understand that, right? I, I think there's some validity to that. But also... In a salary cap world, if you want to win, and I know the max a player can get is 20%, no NHL superstar who took 20% is likely going to win because you don't play that many minutes. Like Connor McDavid plays the most minutes of any forward in the league. Still only 22 minutes a night. right? So there's 38 minutes without him. Now he's got Leon Dreisaitl and he's got some other players, which is great. But the truth is, in the NHL salary cap, because of how the game's played and there's penalty killers and different things like that, that if you go to the max that you can get as a top-end player, I think it really limits your ability to win. And Connor McDavid is never going to want or need anything financially in his life. Right? When, is, when this current contract is up, he'll already be over $100 million. He's not, he's not going to need money. He'll be fine. No, I don't expect him to just suddenly say, hey, you know what? Pay me six mil. I'll be good. Of course not. But I don't think he has to look. And if the salary cap is 80 million or 85 million, whatever the number is in three years, that he's like, well, geez, you know, if it's 80, I, I, I could get 16 at 20%. He could do it. But I'd be stunned if he did. Right? Well, it's actually 82.5 now, so I should say 90. So then would he say I could get 18 million? Mm, he could. But I don't think he will. Because he wants to win. And even if he's won already, then he's going to want to win again. Right? That becomes, it's funny, you chase it, and then once you get it, you talk to players who won once, now they're like, oh my goodness, I, I want to have that feeling again. For sure. Hey, Gregs, are they shifting low tide into analytics? <laughs> From Ranch and, uh, no, LT will not be, uh, uh, he's, he's got a lock-solid contract he can't get out of. No, I'm kidding. But, uh no, I think LT would be the first one to tell you he really likes analytics. He probably wouldn't be a guy to head up an analytics department. 
pretty difficult job. No question about it. Coming up in the uh, final few hours of the uh, Wednesday edition of the Jason Greger Show, we will hear from uh, Ian Furness as we continue to go around the Pacific Division. Some previews. The Kraken, of course, had a very surprising season last year. Can it continue? Can they get better goaltending? Because you can chop them up as another team that didn't have the goaltending they want. They had worse goaltending in the orders overall in the regular season, but they still were a 100-point team. So lots of room. Uh, Charlie Huddy, who is going up on the Oilers Wall of Fame, the Ring of Honor, on October 26th against the Rangers. Him and Doug Waite, that was announced earlier today. Charlie Huddy will join us. Mark Spector, we got a lot of text to get to at 833-401-1440. But first, let's get to the con man and a sports 1440 update brought to you by Ewell from LED Lighting Audits and Retrofits to Design Build Distribution Systems. Ewell Services can give the edge you need to impress your clients. EWEL.ca. Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.